Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today, uh, I'm excited because we get to kick off a brand new series today in 2 Peter. So if you would, go ahead and grab uh, your device, uh, open up the MVF Colorado app if you want to use that. You can open up uh, your YouVersion Bible or just uh, if you have it in paper form, go to 2 Peter. I want you reading along with us this morning uh, because it's important uh, that you read it for yourself. Uh, we, we always say it this way, when you read it for yourself, when you open up the Word of God and you read it for yourself, you're inviting Jesus to meet with you in that moment. You're inviting the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. And so I don't want you to sit and listen to me this morning. I want you to, to read it for yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you on an individual level. As I was preparing for this message, we could spend six months in this book, by the way, but we're, we're having to um, squeeze it into four weeks. And so we're going to do the best that we can. But I, I want to let you know, one of the things that came to my mind as I was reading through these chapters, and this is going to date me, by the way, is the tornado warning siren that we used to have in Strasburg. Does anyone remember that? That thing would go off every day at noon. And uh, for 19 years, we lived across the street from it. And so if you could hear it like two miles away, imagine what it was like right across the street every day at noon, and it would go off. And here's what happened. It went off so many times. Uh, the first couple of times when we first moved in, we were like, what in the world is happening, right? And then after a while, we realized, oh, okay, so it's a warning s signal. And so um, it would go off, and I would go out and check. And then pretty soon after a few weeks, because I'm slow, it, it, I realized, oh, they just test it every day at noon. And so every day at noon, the stupid thing would go off, and uh, you'd look at the sky, and it would be clear. It would be just fine. So I'm like, okay, no warning. It's just a siren. And then uh, one day, we're sitting at the table eating, and it goes off. And I'm like, okay, it's noon. And I look at the clock, and no, it was like 6.30 or something. I'm like, that's kind of odd. And I walk out, and I look. And all of a sudden, the clouds are like green, and they're rotating. You guys know. You've seen it. And uh, with those two things combined, uh, it became a warning, right? It was like, okay, basement right now, let's go. And so uh, I, I want you to know that depending on the threat and coupled with that, who and what is issuing the warning, we respond differently. Because if it was just the siren and the skies were clear, I wouldn't worry about it. If the skies looked a little ominous and I went and, and didn't hear a siren, I didn't worry about it. Somebody was looking over me, over me. But when the siren was going off and the clouds matched it. It looked like there was a tornado. It looked like, you know, you get some green clouds and you get that hail. Um, yeah, we're headed to the basement. We were going to take that warning serious. So when Peter sat down to write this book, this letter, Second Peter, it was about 67 AD and he's in Rome and he's writing it as a warning to the Christians. And so as you read this, I want you to think of that siren going off because that's what he's doing. He's trying to set off a siren for God's people, he's, he's uh, letting them know of a warning. He wants them to be aware of what's happening. And, and in this letter, Peter actually calls for faithfulness in his people because they are confronted with not just persecution, but corrupt teachers who are teaching something other than Jesus' message. 
And so he's sounding a warning in this moment. Second Peter issues two big warnings over four chapters. The first one is against corrupt teachers who are leading these Christians, and a lot of them are new Christians, leading them away from the true faith. And the other one is against distorted theology. Now, I'm glad neither one of those happened today, right? So we don't have to worry about it too much. Um, I think this book is just as relevant for us today as it was for them 2,000 years ago. Uh, Because one of the things that he does is he reminds them over and over again that their hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. Right on? That's where we need to be looking. And so uh, as we look into 2 Peter, I also want you to keep in mind who's writing this. Because this is the Apostle Peter. This is the man, right? This is... His name was Simon. Jesus changed it to, to Peter. Uh, he was, a, I imagine, a big, burly fisherman. This is what he, get, he did. He was a man's man. Uh, he, was, he was my type of guy because he shot his mouth off a lot before he thought. You know, he would say things in Scripture. And I, I think the common response to Peter by Jesus was this. Uh, check this out. This is what I get. Every time I read Peter's words, Jesus goes, right? So I, I think that of Peter, that's, that's Peter. And I relate to him. He's also the one that denies Christ three times. He's the one that Jesus meets on the shore, and he asks him three times, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he redeems him. And he's also the one, after filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, gets up and preaches one of the greatest messages ever taught, and and thousands were baptized because of that message. It kicked off the early Acts church. This is the Peter that we're talking about. And then there's moments when he doesn't just shoot his mouth off, but he actually declares truth, and he is right on the money. Uh, one of them is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, where Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say I am? And they're throwing out suggestions, you know, one of the prophets and all these things. And finally, he twists it on him, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, being who he is, spoke up, but this time he gets it right. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he nails it. He gets it right. And for one of those moments, we get to stand up and applaud Peter because he he just nailed it in that moment. I believe Peter is the type of guy, his heart is right. But sometimes he he gets ahead of himself. Sometimes he speaks before he thinks. And, and, And for many of us, I think we can relate to that. And so as we read this, I want you to think of Peter. I want you to think of who he is and and what God has done in him to this place now to where he's writing this letter. And this letter is actually kind of a farewell speech because it's the last recorded communication that we have uh, of the Apostle Peter. Um, It's also, just as an interesting side note, it was the last book canonized to the New Testament. So centuries ago, back in in the fourth century when they were deciding which books were going to get into the Bible and which ones weren't, this was the last one added. There was a lot of discussion around it. We don't have time to get into it, but it's very interesting. If you like that kind of stuff, do the research and we can have a discussion because I loved it. Um, But it is an incredible book, and we're going to dive into it starting right now. Let's go. Uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 1, it says, This letter is from Simon Peter. Take a look at this. A slave the apostle of Jesus Christ, a slave. Uh, I love the way he do, uh, introduces himself as a slave, as, as an apostle. It's very reminiscent of Paul in some of his letters when he says, I'm a slave or I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And I sometimes wonder, do we just skip over that? Or do we understand what he's saying there? Because uh, I wonder what the impact would be if churches actually saw themselves as the slaves of Jesus Christ. 
If every one of us, we, we saw ourselves as slaves of Jesus Christ, what kind of impact could, would we have in our community, in our, in our families, in our neighborhoods? Uh, we wouldn't be able to stop sharing the gospel with our community. We, we would love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we would serve our neighbors. We would serve each other. We, we would see some amazing things come if we really viewed ourselves the way that Peter views himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. If you really begin to live your life like that, you viewed yourself as a slave of Jesus Christ, let me ask you, what kind of parent would you be? What kind of spouse would you be? What kind of impact would it have on your relationships? Lived out this idea that, that you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility you consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How would that impact your relationships? How would that impact your marriage if you served Jesus first and then the people around you? So I think this is so critical, and I don't want us to miss it. The way he introduces himself is so powerful because think of the focus. Think of the humility. Think of the purpose that comes with understanding who you are in Christ. And to, to adopt that title, I'm a slave, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Everything I do is for him, for his glory glorify his name. He continues in the second part of verse 1. Peter tells us why he's writing this letter. He says, I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you, check this out, more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Uh, this letter was written to the churches in Asia Minor, which is if in modern day, if you're going to place it, it would be right in modern day Turkey. Uh, it's written to these non-Jewish Christians, and they're facing a lot of persecution from their neighbors who are, are Greeks and, and Romans, and they're just they're being persecuted from every side. And he's writing this letter to these churches that are being persecuted to encourage them in their suffering. And Peter says, look, uh, we're connected by the same faith. Like, we, we serve the same Jesus. And then he says, uh, we grow in our knowledge. When we do that, we grow in our knowledge of, of God and Jesus. Look what happens. He says, we receive more grace and peace. Let me ask you, who could use some more grace and peace today? Yeah. yeah you want more grace and peace? Uh, you know what you need to do? You need to grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus. That's how you do it. Uh, we, we say it this way here at Mountain View Fellowship. We say foster an up relationship every day. Daily, foster that up relationship. How do we do that? Uh, you dedicate time every day to studying the word, to being in prayer, to, to listening to what God has to tell you. Um, another way you can do it is commit to a local church. If you're not committed to a local church and you're visiting this morning, we would love to have you as a part of this faith community. We're, we're just, we're messed up. We're not perfect. We're just striving to be more like Jesus every day. And we invite you to come along and do that with us. Uh, another way to do it is join a Bible study. We've got Bible studies going on for men and for women. Um, you can also, this is a big one, find a discipler. Find somebody in your life that you know is a great example of who Christ is. And go to them and say, would you teach me? Would you disciple me? That'd be the greatest thing you could do in your entire life. Do you realize that? And many of us, we don't have a discipler. You need a discipler in your life, and then you need to be discipling someone else. That's another way that you can grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, I've learned the best way that I, I learn is when I have to study something, knowing that I'm going to have to teach it to somebody else. 
all of a sudden I internalize it a lot more. I learn it better if I know I've got to turn around and teach it to somebody else. When you disciple someone else, you grow yourself. Find a discipler and find somebody to disciple. You could join a life group. Get involved with another group of people and start growing in your knowledge of of God and Jesus. He begins to talk about growing in their faith in verse 3. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his glorious his marvelous glory and excellence. It's incredible when I read through this because I, I look at this and I, I go, what a great promise. And yet I talk to so many people who call themselves Christians and they go, well, I don't know if I can really attain that status. I, I don't know if I can strive to be like Christ. I, I don't know if Christianity really is for me because I, I, I don't measure up. I, I've messed up so much. The, the bar is set so high. I don't think I can do that. And it's like they walk away from Christianity. They walk away from Jesus because they don't think that they can do it. And yet in this moment, if you read, if you read this with me, you heard what Peter just said. He said, God has given us everything we need, everything, for living a godly life. Now, what's Peter talking about? He's talking about, hey, the fact that Jesus has died on the cross and he rose again. He offers that that gift of salvation to us. And, And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then in that moment, he forgives us of our sins. We are purified and he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have everything that we need. It says, and you've received all of this by coming to know him. When you receive Jesus, you are filled with his spirit. Let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus? Do you really know, I mean, really know Jesus? It's a serious question because I think a lot of us would go, oh yeah, but do you know him? There's a big difference between knowing Jesus and really knowing Jesus. A lot of people say they know Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Do you know Jesus this morning? Because when you know Jesus, you receive everything that you need to live a godly life. And then God gives you more and more grace and peace. Do you see how this is building upon itself? Uh, There's a relationship between the power of God and the benefits of a Christian life. Amazing promise that Peter spells out for us. God's power is available to us for whatever we're going to face in life. Some of us, we're going through some difficult situations right now. Things you're not even sure if you can make it through. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit, God has already given you what you need to be able to walk through this season of life right now? He's with you. There's all these promises, and we'll get to this in a minute. It's amazing that he's given this to us beforehand. Uh, we do something today called trust funds. If you have kids, you might do this. You, you put some money aside for your kids because you know that when they turn 18, there's something. They might go to college. They might, you know, so you want to make sure that you save X number of dollars so that they can do those things. You set aside this trust fund. See, from eternity, God thought about us in terms of his limitless power. And he knew years and years before you ever accepted him that you were going to accept him as Christ Knowing all of this, he had already set up this trust fund for you. This trust fund contains these spiritual assets that you need to operate in life. And it says that he has given. So it's past tense. See, God provided in eternity past every blessing that you would need in this life right now. God doesn't wait until you're in a jam and then he tries to figure out what he's going to do. He doesn't do that. 
He's already given you everything that you need. You've already been given everything that you need by God in advance of what you will experience tomorrow, the day after, the month, the year, the season that's in front of you. And then he says in verse 4, and because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. The Bible is full of God's promises. Uh, let me just spell a couple out for you real quick. Uh, it promises us that God is good, he's loving and faithful. Psalm 100 says, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. It, it promises us that God will always be with us. He's never going to leave us. Joshua 1.9 says, I have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Um, the Bible promises that he's going to provide, that he's our provider. 2 Corinthians 9 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Promise after promise after promise. And, and one of the reasons why we grow in grace and peace as we get to know God is because we begin to, to set these promises in our heart. And the Holy Spirit uses those, brings those up when we're going through times of trouble, when we're struggling. When we're struggling, it helps to be reminded of God's promises. See, God's promises teach us all about his incredible character. And when we reflect on God's promises, it helps us in, in whatever we're facing today, whatever it might be for you. It encourages us to continue to push on, to hang strong, to, to hold on to our faith, and to continue striving to be more and more like Christ every day. Paul, Peter reminds them that God's invitation is to share in his divine nature. That's an amazing statement. That means that we get to share in God's own life, in his love. We get to share in that with our own God, our creator, and then Peter, now that he's set the foundation for what he wants to write in, he goes on in verse 5. It says, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Because this is a farewell letter, this is kind of a final challenge that he's issuing to God's people. Um, that, that we as Christ's followers, that we should be people who never stop growing. We always say, you know, um, you're never going to arrive until you arrive, right? Like, so every day on this earth, we're, we're constantly struggling. We're fighting. We're striving to be more like him. It's not going to stop until we arrive before God. It's a lifelong process to develop this character, these, these traits that mark God's own divine nature in our lives moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and patience and endurance and godliness and brotherly infection. And then the final one that he lists in there is love. Why? Well, I think it's because love is the foundation for all the others. Uh, why, why does he list love? It, I think because of 1 Corinthians 1. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have uh, not love, then I have, say it with me, nothing, right? Nothing. I'm nothing. I don't have love. He continues in verse 8. It says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. See, when we grow in our knowledge of Christ, uh, we become productive instruments in the hand of God. And we need to continue to grow because what happens uh, so often is people come, they receive Christ, they get excited about their faith, but then they don't grow. They just stay in that state, and pretty soon they fall away. They, they find themselves going, well, this wasn't really for me. It wasn't all that I thought it was going to be. And, the, and they lose faith. He says, look, continue to grow. When you continue to grow, you're more productive in the hands of God goes on to say in verse 10, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that going to be a great day? Hold firm to that. Uh, but see, don't, don't make the mistake. It's not about works. That's not what he's saying here. See, works flow from our love for Jesus, for what he's done for us. The works that we do for the kingdom are fruit that come from a relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus, not the other way around. See, it's not works producing salvation. It's out of a heart of gratitude for Christ, for saving us, for what he's done for us. We dedicate our lives to him. We become slaves. We become bondservants to Jesus. And it's out of that love for him, for what he's done for us, that we start to do things. We start to do things to build his kingdom, to bring glory to his name. It's not the works that save us, but it's because of the fact that we're saved that we do these things. Continue in verse 12, it says, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. See, Peter knows that he's about to die. Uh, tradition has it that he would actually go on to be martyred in Rome while under um, the rule of Nero. Nero would um, be the, the emperor on the throne when, when he would be uh, martyred. And uh, I also think that this referenced something else. Uh, there, there's a great passage in John chapter 21 where Jesus, uh, it says that Jesus tells John how he's going to die. We're not told in Scripture what that looks like. We're just told that he tells John that he's, how he's going to die. And, and we feel like this is a reference back to that, that he's saying, look, God, God's already, or Jesus has already told me how I'm going to die, so I know it's coming soon. And like I said, in fact, we know that he would. He would be martyred soon. This letter's purpose was for Peter, uh, Peter to write down these teachings because he knew he wasn't going to be around long. He knew that he had to pass this on to others, and he wanted to make sure they wrote these things down so that they would live on, that, that he could encourage them, even after um, they would take his life. He says, For we are not making up clever stories. When we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice of the majestic, the, the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. He talks about uh, a couple of events here. He talks, first of all, uh, about the voice of God speaking to Jesus and addressing Jesus at his baptism, also uh, on the mound when they went for the uh, transfiguration of Jesus in, in Mark chapter 9. He's also talking about uh, the apostles when they saw Jesus being exalted as a king, and the fact that he's going to come back 
and judge one day. He also talks about all the prophecy in the Old Testament, the fact that it all points to Jesus being uh, the Son of God. And what's interesting about this is he is doing all of this to address objections. See, some of the false teaching that was going on at this time was to say that the apostles made all of this up. That Jesus wasn't really the son of God, that the apostles are the ones that did it. And, and they made him into somebody that he wasn't. And, and even after he was crucified and buried, that they stole his body. And, and, and so he, to kick back against all those objections, he writes about all this stuff. And he says, I don't want you to forget these things because this really did happen. I was there to see it. I witnessed it with my own eyes. And I know who Jesus is. And I, I want you to take your next step in faith knowing that this is all true, every bit of it. See, his heart is for the church. His heart is for Christians so that they would continue to grow, that they wouldn't fall away. Uh, let me ask you today, and I just want to close with this real quick. Where are you at in your walk? As we start this series on Second Peter, are you questioning things? Are you struggling to really believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's who he said he was, that he, that he died and he rose again for the forgiveness of your sins? That even before you came to him, he offered salvation to you through the cross. Are you struggling to, to grasp that? I don't want us to question it. I want us, as we move into this series and into this rainstorm, to know that Jesus is who he says he is. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We ask that you would just bless each person here. God, thank you for, um, thank you for the rain, for the blessing of, of moisture, Lord, uh, and for the sun. God, we just ask that uh, you would go with each of, us, uh, each of us as we go home today. Bless us, and may we, may we live as slaves, as bond servants of you. We give you all these things. We ask that it brings glory and honor to your name and all God's people said, amen.